Praise the Lord, friends. I am so glad that you've tuned in today. We're going to be teaching today on the subject of faith in God. And we're going to be talking about my series, Have Faith and Doubt Not. You know, a lot of people think that they need an increase of faith. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus in Luke chapter 18 and said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus' answer to them was, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, if you have faith, you know, we have faith. And the challenge is with a lot of people, they don't realize the faith that they have. If you are born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have the exact same faith of Jesus in your spirit. And the fact is, you do not have a faith problem. You have the faith of God. You have the faith of Jesus in you. The, the challenge is, we have an unbelief problem. And so Jesus said, if, have, if you have faith and doubt not, and we're gonna go to that instance in, in just a minute, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 to verse 22, and we're going to share a little bit out about this. Now, what is faith? When we talk about faith, faith is confidence, faith is assurance, it's trust, faith is belief. A person of faith is a person who really knows God. Now, what is a, a, a doubt, on the other hand? Doubt is a lack of confidence or assurance, fear unbelief okay and so you know when we look at this scripture faith has the power to move mountains your faith has the power to move mountains but a lot of times again believers don't really understand the faith that's been given to them in christ now when i said you have the exact same faith of jesus some people are challenged with that but when you study the scripture the scripture says that we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written i believed and therefore i have spoken we also believe and therefore we speak that's in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 13. now when the apostle paul wrote that he was actually quoting david in psalm 110 or 116 i think it's 116 but when you when you get that i believe that david got it from god in genesis chapter 1 when god created the heaven and earth that's how god created the heaven and earth he created the heaven and the earth with his word and so it, when it says we having the same spirit of faith it means we have the exact same spirit of faith as jesus if you study this out and put it together with other scriptures you can find when you are born again the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so when you are born again, you have the spirit of Jesus Christ on the inside of you, the exact same spirit that Jesus has in him. He says, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his, but we, you have the spirit of Christ. Then he goes on and he says, if the spirit uh, be in you, yeah, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness and of the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11, dwell in you. He will quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. So you have the spirit of Christ. Either you have none of him or you have all of him. You have the spirit of Christ. And the Bible says this in Galatians 5, verse uh, 22 and verse 23 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith 
meekness and temperance against such there is no law. So faith is a fruit of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. Therefore, you have the faith of Jesus Christ in you. So as a believer, you do not have a faith problem. Again, the challenge is not with your faith. The challenge is unbelief. And so many times people are feeding on other things. Dr. Lester Sumlaw used to say this. He used to say, feed your faith and starve your doubts to death. And so we need to feed our faith. Now, how do we feed our faith? We feed our faith by studying the word, by feeding on the word, by meditating the word of God. The Bible says that we can pray in the Holy Ghost and build up our most holy faith. It talks about that in Jude verse 20. And so praise God, as you pray in the Holy Ghost, as you meditate on the word, you're, you're building up your most holy faith. And you have the faith of Jesus. You get built up in that. It goes from your spirit through your soul. And then you, it begins to flow out of you. And when it begins to flow out of you, how does faith flow out of you? Faith flows out of you in the spoken word. Jesus said this in, in Mark chapter uh 11 verse 23 and verse 24 he said in verse 22 have faith in god for verily i say unto you in verse 23 whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and and shall not doubt in his heart but shall have believe those things which he says shall have those things that he says notice he talks about saying three times as much as he does about believing so the way that faith is released faith is released through words and you, you know what you're using your tongue either in a positive way in the realm of faith or in a negative way in the realm of unbelief the bible actually says this in proverbs 18 verse 21 it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it shall eat the fruit thereof so you are either speaking words of faith or you're speaking words of, of doubt and unbelief. You're either speaking words of life or words of death. And you know what? Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, verse 34. So then he went on to say in verse 37, Matthew 12, 37, by your words, you shall be justified. And by your words, you shall be condemned. So we need to learn the power of our words. We need to understand the power of our tongue. Now we're going to go back to this instance where we started reading in Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be reading verse 18 to verse 22, where Jesus is talking uh, about the subject of faith. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, it says, In the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. So he said to it, Let no fruit grow on you from now on forever. And presently, the fig tree withered away. Now, if you study this in Mark's gospel, we were just talking about that in Mark chapter 11. This same instance, uh, basically, they came back 24 hours later within, the, within 24 hours, and the fig tree was drying up from the roots. The, the disciples said, Master, the fig tree you cursed is dried up, withered up. I could see this tree, just the bark falling off of it, and it looked like it had been dead for 10 or 15 years. Just, and, you know, Jesus had spoken the word the day before. And the disciples saw and they marveled and said, how soon is the fig tree withered away? This is verse 20 in Matthew chapter 21. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not. You see, it's not, 
In, in the presence of faith, you have the faith of God. If you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the exact same faith as Jesus. But the challenge is doubt. And many times believers are dealing with doubt. They're dealing with unbelief because they're not just feeding on the word, meditating on the word, meditating on what God says, but there's also the world. And they're feeding many times more off of the world than what the world's uh, disinformation or, or the world's unbelief right, is feeding them rather than feeding on the Word of God. My mentor, Andrew Womack, said this one time. He said, you can look in the mirror of the Word, and then you can look in the mirror of the world, and you've got to decide what you're going to believe. Are you going to believe the circumstances that the world's throwing at you, or are you going to believe what the Word of God says? So he says, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be thee removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. Praise God. So what do you desire when you pray? Praise God. When you pray, believe that you receive them. You know, I remember Andrew years ago, Andrew Womack. We, he held a Bible study. actually held six Bible studies in, in the area surrounding Lamar, Lamar, Colorado, and, and Pritchett, Colorado. You know, Walsh, Colorado, down in southwestern Kansas, Eads, Colorado, all around. He had six Bible studies a week. Ran Monday to Saturday night, every night at 7 p.m., and the only day he didn't have one was on Sunday. But when he ran these Bible studies, he would, he would ask people, do, do you want to, they'd come up for prayer. And he'd say, do you believe that when we pray that you're going to be healed right now? And they'd say, well, I don't know. He'd say, go sit down and don't waste my time. <laughs> he was so bold, praise God. Well, I think sometimes we need some of that boldness to get people to realize where they're at in the realm of faith. And so he said, all things here in Matthew 21, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. So if you want to receive it, you've got to believe it. Praise God. If you don't believe it, then you're probably not going to receive it. I was thinking about this other day. Sometimes people are saying one thing and then praying another thing, and they wonder why their prayers don't work. Years and years ago, I had this lady come to me, and they were going to go on a trip, you know, from southeastern Colorado. They were going over to Springfield, Illinois, or somewhere, and she said, oh, our car's old, and it's going to break down, and we don't have money. And She was just going on complaining. Pastor, would you pray for us? And I said, I just joined hands with her, and I prayed exactly what she said, and I did it on purpose. I said, oh Lord, I know their car's old. I know it's going to break down Jesus and I know they don't have money, but Jesus help them somehow. <laughs> she stopped me in the middle of the prayer and she said, pastor, don't pray that. I said, well, then you don't say that. Praise God. If you want your prayers to work, you've got to be in agreement. All things that you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And your words are connected to what you believe. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, there's an example of this that we can see from the life of Abraham. It's recorded in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul is talking about receiving righteousness by faith. And he really says there's two aspects to receiving righteousness. He says there's an aspect of grace, and then there's the aspect of faith. Now, grace is essentially talking about what Jesus has done and, and what he's provided for us. And faith is our positive response toward grace, toward Jesus, towards the gospel, toward what he's done and what he's provided. Now, 
he, in Romans chapter 4, he talks about David being an example of grace because I believe David really needed grace. And then he talks about Abraham and he uses Abraham as an example of faith because I believe that Abraham really needed faith. And he says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Now, what he's so he's talking about receiving righteousness or receiving salvation by grace through faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And he uses the example here of Abraham and when Abraham and Sarah received Isaac. Now they had believed God for years to receive Isaac, you know, before he was born. So God had spoken the word to him, right? When, when he was 75 years old, Genesis chapter 12, verse one through three, God had confirmed that covenant. Genesis chapter 15, he might've been, you know, 80 or 85 years old. He confirmed again to him in Genesis chapter, uh, let's see, what is that? Genesis chapter 15 on no, Genesis chapter 17 when he was 99 years old. And it's at that point that Abraham finally got it and got a hold of it and believed it. But he said, this is what he did. He, he said, he says, I, God spoke to him. And this happened in Genesis 17 when Abraham was 99 years old. He, he says, I've made you a father of many nations before whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. So it was absolutely impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child at that point in time. I, I mean, Abraham was ni 99 years old. Sarah was, you know, 90 years old. And, you know, it was past that season in their life. I mean, Sarah wasn't even having hot flashes, but it, it says here, it goes on to tell us how this happened. But what happened was God spoke a word of life into a dead situation. Now, again, he's talking in Romans chapter four about how you receive righteousness and righteousness was an impossibility without Jesus coming. And so what he's saying, it's just like it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child when he was 99 and she was 90. It, it wasn't it wasn't even on the you know horizon anywhere. It was like it was like their natural hope was gone. But God spoke a word of life into a dead situation. And then when God spoke that word of life and said, I have made you a father of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram fatherly, but your name will be Abraham for a father of many nations. Have I made you? You can read that in Genesis chapter 17, the first four verses. When God speaks this word of life, then Abraham grabs a hold of that word. And so what happened is God spoke a word of life into a dead situation. And that word created hope in Abraham and in Sarah. Now, in verse 18, it says, who against hope believed in hope. See, faith is the substance of the things we hope for, the evidence of things we don't see. So the, the word created hope, and he says that, that he might become the father of na many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now, 
again, when Abraham was about 85 years old, and I, I'd have to look at more closely at the scriptures, but in Genesis chapter 15, God speaks again to Abraham after Genesis chapter 12. And, and Abraham said, what are you going to give me seeing that I go childless? And he took him outside and he showed him the stars of the sky. And he said, your seed is going to be like the stars of the sky, innumerable. And the Bible says there in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was accounted or imputed to him for righteousness. So he believed the Lord. He believed the word of the Lord. So this is what happened is God spoke a word of life into a dead situation. But when God spoke that word in Genesis chapter uh, 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, again, God spoke to him in Genesis uh, verse chapter 12. He was 75 years old, spoke to him in Genesis chapter 15. He might have been like 85 years old. And, and so God, it's a progressive revelation that Abraham's getting. And then finally in Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham's 99 years old, he speaks this word again. So he continually was growing in his revelation of what God was doing in his life. He was growing in his relationship with God. And so he believed this word. Now, any time along this you know, path, Abraham could have quit believing God. And he did have some challenges in his faith. Genesis 16, him and Sarah went out and tried to do it on their own. They had Ishmael created a huge mess that we still deal with. But we see this just going on and on and on. But notice then in verse 19, so the first thing is, how does faith work? God speaks a word of life into a dead situation. And your situation right now may look totally dead. But if you believe God, the word of God has the power to even raise the dead. The word of God has the power to bring life to things that are dead and change hopeless situations. You see, the Bible says with men it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, so he, he speaks this word and says, your, your name's no longer going to be Abram, but your name's going to be Abraham. And that word creates hope in Abraham. And then it says, you know, because he, he believed that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be years before. But finally, he says this in verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. So the word, number one, created hope in him. And then number two, he chose to believe the word. He did not consider his body now dead. He did not consider the natural circumstance. He did not consider the natural situation that was contrary with what God had spoken to him. So he considered not the deadness of his own body neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And then it says this in verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, how can we see that he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, how that he did not stagger at the promise because he began to speak words and agree with what God said about him. And it goes on. He says, and being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able to perform. Now, when we look at this, so here's how faith works. Number one, God speaks a word of life into a dead situation, and that word creates hope in our life. Number two, we've got to begin to consider the promise more than the problem. 
So you can look in the mirror of the word again or you can look in the mirror of the circumstances and you've got to choose. Am I going to believe what the word of God says? Am I going to believe the promise of God? Am I going to believe that by Jesus stripes and I am healed? Am I going to believe that my God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory? Am I going to believe that I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord? Am I going to believe what God's word says or am I going to believe what this natural circumstance says that you're sick with this disease and you're never going to get and you're never going to get past this financial challenge or difficulty. Whatever the devil's lying to you about, are you going to believe that great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them? Right? Psalm 119, 165. Or, or are you going to believe some other lie? So you've got to choose that I'm going to believe God's promise. I'm going to believe the Holy Bible. I'm going to believe that more than some natural circumstance or situation. So you choose to, to, to consider the promise more than the problem. Now there's another scripture. Not only do we see this here in Romans 4, verse 18 and verse 19, but we see it also in James chapter 1, verse 25. James 1, again, it's talking about how we receive see from the goodness of God. He says in verse 17, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Then he says in verse 18 of his own will or of his own word, he begat us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creation. In other words, God doesn't have any second class citizen. He doesn't have any second fruit. It's just first fruit. And if you'll believe the word, the word produce a harvest in you. So when you believe on Jesus, the word takes up residence on you. Then he goes on and says this. He says in verse 21, he says that we must receive with meekness the engrafted word, right? So you've got to, when the word comes to you and the word says something that's different than what the world's saying or the circumstances saying, you take a meek attitude towards the word of God. And you say, I believe that promise. I believe what God says more than what the natural circumstance says, more than what the world says, more than what, you know, some contrary circumstances saying to me, I'm believing the word of God. And, and we go on down and the Bible says, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word of God. Then in James chapter one and verse 25, it goes on to say this. So, so we're, we're born of the word, right? And then we receive with meekness, the engrafted word. And we don't want to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And then he says, finally, he says in James 1 25, Whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, and he calls the new covenant the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, this man not being a forgetful uh, hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we consider the promise more than the problem, and then we have to choose to believe over unbelief. That's like Jesus again, talking in Matthew 21, in verse 21, when he said, if you have faith and doubt not, you might say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And, and whatever you ask in prayer, believing you should receive. So consider the promise more than the problem, then consider faith or belief over unbelief. It goes on in verse 20 of Romans 4, we already read it. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God uh, through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Not only dealing with faith, but dealing with unbelief. Now, what are the primary sources of unbelief? And we might have to teach on this later during the week. But number one, lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you don't know what the word of God said, you don't know what the promise of God is. The lack of knowledge causes unbelief. It's a root cause. Uh, number two, here can be one. Religion and tradition. 
Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, I believe it is, he said, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition. So wrong teaching, teaching that is contrary with what the word of God really says, what the new covenant says. And, and then number three, so lack of knowledge, wrong, wrong teaching. Another one is circumstances, focusing on circumstances that are contrary to the promises. So Abraham chose not to look at the deadness of his body nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he staggered not the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Amen. So if you consider the circumstances that are contrary with the promise, you will not get to, where what, to, to what God wants you to get to. You will not get where God wants you to go. So faith begins where the will of God is known. So what does the Bible say? See, the Bible actually says this in Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or faith comes by declaration and declaration by the mouth of God. Hallelujah. So when we begin to know who God is and what he God said, did you know God's character and will flow together and God's promises flow from who he is? So God says in Genesis, I am the Lord, your provider. I'm Jehovah Rapha, you know, you know, and that's in Genesis chapter 17. Then he goes on. Actually, that's in Genesis chapter 22, excuse me. But then he goes on and says, I'm the Lord your healer in Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 17, he says, I'm the Lord your deliverer. So faith begins where the will of God is known and the will of God flows from the word of God. So you begin to study the word of God, find out the promises of God, find out the nature of God, find out who God says he is, find out what Jesus said he did. And that brings faith in your life. See, faith comes by ultimately knowing God. Now, if we go on to Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, it says being fully persuaded that what he promised he was able to perform. What who promised it? What God promised. So Abraham was fully persuaded. So so here's a, a the process of faith. God speaks a word of a word of life into a dead situation. And then that word creates hope in Abraham's life and in Sarah's life, right? And then they consider the promise more than the problem, right? More than the natural circumstances that, that's contrary to it. They choose to believe God over unbelief. Unbelief is fed by lack of knowledge, wrong teaching, and circum observing circumstances contrary to the promises. And finally, we know who and what we believe. I love this scripture, and I'll end with this one today. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know who I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that uh, which I've committed to him against that day. Amen. So as you get a hold of the word of God, you hear that word of God. You see that promise of God. You begin to hold on to that word of God. And that word of God begins to combat the unbelief. Praise God. The doubt in your life. And as you feed on the word, the word actually grows. Your understanding of the word grows. And you begin to see how that word is coming to pass in your life. Well, I'm completely out of time. I, I certainly appreciate you tuning in. If you need prayer, I have trained prayer ministers that are ready to pray for you. If, if you need prayer for healing, you need prayer to receive Jesus, or if you want to become a partner with us in this ministry, we'd love to hear from you today. Blessings. Thanks so much.